good to be together. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. My, add, add my welcome to worship this morning at Faith Covenant Church. Uh, we at Faith Covenant Church, if you've been with us uh, for a while, know that we've been walking what we've been calling the Vitality Pathway. Uh, we've been partnering with our denomination, which is the Evangelical Covenant Church, to uh, go on a journey, in, in essence, doing what we've been singing about, seeking to follow Jesus as his disciples, having a, a conversation with God through his Holy Spirit, asking about who we are wired to be as a faith community, and how can we be leaning into this call of Jesus to be his disciples, to be his church on the mission field of the Northwest Territories of Washington State in the 21st century. God's calling on our life is to be active in pursuing uh, his mission of love to the world. And, And vitality, life, is all about seeking him. One of the 10 healthy missional markers that we've uh, looked at it. Uh, we have them posted on the wall in our lobby and down the hallway. Uh, that these are like the vital signs of a healthy, thriving church. And one of those ten healthy missional markers is what we call a life-transforming walk with Jesus. If you think about what discipleship really is, it, it, it's about walking with Jesus on this journey of life and allowing the gift of His Spirit and His mercy and grace and forgiveness to transform us from the inside. Out so that we can be a blessing to those around us. Uh, some of the things that the denomination says are markers of having a life-transforming walk with Jesus is that as a church, we teach our people how to be attentive to Christ in all circumstances. They say our people understand the radical nature of the message and mission of Jesus and are continually being deconstructed and reconstructed in our own personal lives. That's a challenge, Right? Our people are equipped and growing in their ability to use a variety of spiritual growth resources, experience, and and communal settings to further their ongoing discipleship to Jesus. One of the ways we've been talking about it here at Faith Covenant Church is that we're recognizing out of this vitality process that discipleship isn't one of the things that we do as a church. It's the one thing that we do. Everything that we do in terms of service and mission and worship and all of the ministries uh, for children and students and, and our senior friends, all of them are a part about being on this journey with Jesus at every age and stage of life. Everything is about making disciples of Jesus. Now, if you go back historically and you look at the history of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which started as, as kind of a, a renewal movement in the Lutheran Church in Sweden back in you know 1800s, those early covenanters gathered in homes for, for mutual discipleship, to study God's word, to pray for one another. And they had two questions that they kind of developed. The first one was, where is it written? Because we are a people who believe that God's word is inspired and infallible and is the only rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, as we say in the the covenant literature, we are understanding that we can have varying viewpoints on life and theology, but, but ultimately we have to come back to scripture as our foundational measuring stick, saying, where is it written? Because that has to be the place of our unity. We are united around the word of God, and that word gives us that, that place of foundational, central connection as a community. But then we have to go on from there. It's not just about understanding the information of God's word. It's about allowing that information to soak into our hearts and into our lives through the spirit of God so so that we're actually on a journey with Jesus in a living, vital relationship with him. And that leads to the second question is, how goes your walk? Where is it written 
and how goes your walk? And, and, and underlying this question of how goes your walk that we're going to be wrestling with and living into in, in this next series that we're, we're starting today, uh, we have to understand that the invitation and goal of a life-transforming walk with Jesus is, is that we are actively engaged with Christ in our lives. Because if you think about it, you can have all of the information in Scripture. You can show up to church Sunday after Sunday. You can even be serving in God's name. But if, if you don't have a vital living relationship with Jesus, if you're not truly seeking to follow him as his disciple, as Paul said in, in, in the New Testament, we can have the form of religion, but not experience the true power of, of God's mercy and grace in our lives. And ultimately, that, that is the goal for our lives as Christians. So how about you this morning? As you enter into this new season of life, as we come out of some snowy winter weather and we're looking ahead to our calendars and our agendas with school and work and maybe even you're already planning vacations for the summer, how goes your walk? If you were really to be honest between you and God this morning, you don't have to tell anybody else, but just between you and God, if you were to really be honest before God, how goes your walk with Jesus today? See, our invitation over the next eight weeks is going to be to go on this journey with Jesus through the gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at the stories of Jesus and his disciples. And our invitation is to, to enter into that story with him, to, to go on this journey as one of Jesus' disciples in the gospel of Mark and to be honestly asking ourselves this question. It's, what is Jesus calling me to be and to do and to experience in this season between now and Easter, we're going to be walking with Jesus and entering into the story, learning again what it means to be one of his disciples and to experience this life-transforming walk with Jesus. As we jump in, would you pray with me and ask God to bless not only today's message, but this series that we're going into and the challenge and the invitation that comes with it. Let's pray. God, it, it, it is our heart's desire to be on journey with Jesus. And yet we also know, that God, that the concerns and cares of life can creep in and can get us distracted. We can focus on the things that we think are going to bring us happiness and pleasure and, and forget that, that Jesus reminds us that he's the only true source of living water. God, as we come to your word and we begin to walk on journey with Jesus through the gospel of Mark, would you allow us to have the courage to be honest before God about where we are in our own walk with him? Would you open the door to maybe seeing Jesus in a new way and hearing his call in our lives in, in a new way so that we can be re-inspired to get back on the path, to, to be moving forward as his followers? I, I can't help but uh, feel the challenge of the song that we sang this morning, God. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. God, those are great words, but mm, they are so hard for me to do personally in the day-to-day -day moments of my life. And so, God, I pray for myself as we go into this series as well. Would you allow me to be re-inspired, to be on journey with Jesus as we go through and learn about true discipleship? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
we're not going to be able to have time to do kind of a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse look at Mark, but we are going to pick some highlighted stories, and we're going to be inviting you, if you are willing to live up to the challenge, to be wrestling with the gospel of Mark in your own personal time during the week, to be reading through the stories of this gospel and allowing the Spirit of Christ to, to prompt you to see yourself in the story. So if you want to turn to the gospel of Mark, it's in the back of the New Testament, It's the second gospel out of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, We will have the words on the screen, but I also encourage you to uh, be in the book. Be wrestling with the larger themes of this uh, gospel as we go through, because we're going to be looking at how many of the verses and chapters really tie in together some of these larger themes that help us to understand what's going on in this story, and hopefully what's going on in our own lives as we engage with Jesus through the story. Just going to read verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Mark says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, now that's a short sentence, but it's a loaded sentence, right? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is believed to be the earliest gospel written out of the four. Uh, Matthew and Luke are obviously derivative of Mark. You can see that there was probably some uh, resources that they were all drawing upon, but Matthew and Luke also follow many of the same stories that we see in Mark. Uh, And there's an assumption there was a collection of oral traditions from the apostles who went around preaching and teaching, and and eventually they began to write them down and record them. And so our our modern gospels have come out of that tradition of of people beginning to to gather the, the testimony of the apostles and those disciples who walked with Jesus to preserve the message and the mission for generations to come. Most scholars suggest that Mark was probably compiled uh, from the preaching of Peter, uh, that his disciples, those who followed Peter, uh, began to record his teachings and uh, wanted to share them with the growing church that was also finding itself in increasingly challenging and difficult situations in the Roman world. The Gospel of Mark was most likely written in order to encourage Christians who were beginning to face persecution and finding uh, a need to remind themselves of the core foundation of their faith. Now, we know early on historically that Christians were relatively ignored in the early A.D. years until about A.D. 64. If you know your history in the Roman Empire, in A.D. 64, there was a, a, a terrible fire that, that ravaged the city of Rome and, and virtually destroyed the whole city. And rumors began to spread that Emperor Nero, who was in charge at the time, had instigated this fire as a kind of urban rebuilding project. Well, Nero, you know, to try and quelch these rumors, began to, 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 to do everything he could. To, he gave tax rebates, and he did all these things to try and uh, get out from under this rumor that it was him who caused it. But ultimately, none of that worked. And so his final last-ditch effort was to begin to scapegoat Christians and to blame them for the fire. So what we see in AD 64 is, is that mass per- persecution and torture of Christians came under the rule of Nero, who was trying to use them to blame Christians for the destruction of the capital city. And we also know that the, the Jewish people over in Israel revolted against Rome in AD 66, so that the, the Roman army marched on Israel in AD 70, sacked the city, and destroyed the temple. 
And so Mark is written in a time when early Christians have to be wondering, what in the heck is going on here? Right? We thought that the Messiah had come, that that God's kingdom was going to be here, and that everything was going to be okay. And yet the world seems to be falling apart around us. And so Mark begins to write the stories of the people who walked with Jesus and to remind people of who Jesus was and what does it mean that we were called to enter into this kingdom of God in ways that maybe aren't at first normally what we would expect from a worldly point of view. They were being encouraged to faithful endurance and even in the face of persecution and social unrest to continue to follow through on their call to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that even in the midst of a world seemingly filled with nothing but bad news, the kingdom of God was breaking in, and therefore, we can have hope. So let's go back to the gospel and look at the rest of this introduction of Mark's in chapter 1. We're going to start by reading through verse 15 to get this overview of what Mark is wanting us to understand about where he's going with this story of Jesus and his disciples. Again, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there's a lot going on in this opening chapter, but scholars would like us to suggest that, that there's uh, an intentional um, uh, overview that Mark is wanting to give us to, to put the story of Jesus into a context that helps us to understand what's really going on behind the scenes. Uh, the whole gospel of Mark is really about a beginning. He says the beginning of the gospel, but, but, but scholars are suggesting he's not saying, you know, verse 1 is the beginning of this story, that the, the story of Jesus is the beginning of this new thing that God is doing in the world that, that human beings really aren't prepared for. We often don't understand. It, it comes in hidden and mysterious ways, and it takes the eyes of faith to be able to recognize the presence and the power of the kingdom of God that is coming into the world through this person, Jesus Christ. You see, the story of the good news of Jesus doesn't end with his resurrection. It's only the beginning of what God is doing to bring to fulfillment the restoration of 
all of God's people and ultimately all of creation. So we can even say for us today too, the story of Jesus continues in our lives as well. Uh, The Greek word arche or arche, which is translated beginning, can also mean the basis or the foundation of something. It's used in Psalm 111 verse 10 in a familiar verse that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in that sense, the the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new relationship with God that is made available through the mercy and forgiveness that Christ accomplishes in his life, death, and resurrection. In this sense, the gospel is more than just a a chronological account of the life of Jesus. It's a a theological book. The the author is wanting us to understand that that there's a a divine perspective that we need to have if we're to understand what is actually going on in the events of the story that he's going to tell. It's the ground of the church's proclamation of this good news that is good news for us today, even as it was for the people back in that time. Now, Mark uses the very term gospel here, which we translate good news. And we, we've come to call uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the four gospels. It's, it's kind of a literary term uh, talking about a chronological uh, recording of the life of Jesus. But that genre didn't exist when Mark was writing. So why is Mark using this term gospel? What does he mean when he says the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ? Uh, the, world, the word gospel appears six times in Mark and refers to what is proclaimed about God or about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. These terms that he's using right in verse 1, the Messiah, the Son of God. There is something theological going on here that we need to understand if we're going to grasp what we are supposed to see in the story. For Mark, the term gospel interprets for us how the words, deeds, the death and the resurrection of Jesus come to be understood as God's saving activity on behalf of all humanity. You see, in this world of bad news, the good news that Jesus brings is that God has overcome the power of sin and evil in this world. In Roman times, the Greek word evangelizo, which we've now taken our word evangelism or evangelical, uh, or uh, which translates the evangel is the good news, was often used in reference to proclaiming the news of a military victory. Uh, news from the battlefield has come back that the emperor has won a victory and people would celebrate. This was the, the good news. Or it was also used in the announcement of the birth of an heir to the emperor. And so there are royal connotations, there are kingly connotations to this idea of good news. However, the good news of Jesus, the Christ, is of a kingdom that's vastly different than a human earthly empire. As we see in the outcome of the story, when we get to the end, the victory that Jesus accomplishes is a victory of death on the cross, not a military victory in a human kingdom. In this unique method of Jesus' victory on the cross, we come to realize what it means that he is the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one. That's the other thing that scholars mention, and I think it'd be fun to, to take just a moment to talk about this a little bit, because we become so familiar with some of these words that, that they just kind of roll off our tongue, but we don't really get impacted by them in the way we used to, right? Uh, you know, Jesus Christ, is, Christ isn't his last name, <laughs> It's not like he was born to Joseph and Mary Christ, and Jesus Christ has the same name. No, no, Christ has very deep 
important meaning for us. And when we claim Jesus as the Christ, we're saying that he is the Messiah. He is the one that was long promised and foretold by the scriptures to come to reconcile not only God's people, but the entire creation back to God. Now, Jesus Christ is not just a name, but it, it's, it's a, an explanation of why Jesus came and what he was about to do. Even from a Jewish standpoint, a, a crucified Christ was kind of an oxymoron, right? The Christian gospel, Paul says, is a stumbling block to Jews and total nonsense to Gentiles because God's categories of, of what his Christ came to do didn't fit with any of our preconceived notions. And I wonder as we come to church today in the 21st century, as we show up on Sunday morning and we, we sit in these chairs and pews and we, we listen to messages and we sing songs, what are, what are the preconceived notions that we come to God with? As we enter into a series that asks, how goes your walk? Are you open to the possibility that God may break into some of your preconceived notions and call you out of your places of comfort in new and perhaps even exciting ways? As we ask this question, how goes your walk? We are coming to Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Are we really on, path, on the path with who Jesus is? Or has he become kind of our mantra that allows us to feel like we're good Christians and we're doing our religious duty so at the end of life we know we get our free ticket to heaven? When we ask the question, how goes your walk? The question is, how goes your walk with Jesus? How goes your walk with the anointed one of God who came to give his life so that we could be reconciled to God and we could discover the deeper meaning, purpose, and value of why we were created and why Jesus gave his life to save us. He has a mission for us to fulfill. And if we're not willing to allow Jesus to be the Christ, the Lord of our lives, then we have to ask ourselves, are we really on the path with Jesus? Are we really following him? You see, what we see here in Mark in these opening verses is that he wants us to take a divine perspective to the story that he's going to share. In each scene, the reader is given information that is unavailable to the other characters in the story. We're getting a glimpse behind the scenes. We're, we're looking uh, behind the curtains of the play, and we're seeing the larger meaning and importance of what is going on. Each incident contains a reference to the Holy Spirit. We are invited at the outset to take this divine perspective to see God's spirit at work in all of the events of these stories so that we can understand that in the same way that even though we might not see God in our own lives, the Holy Spirit is at work and present in every situation that we're dealing with and can help us and has a power available to us to experience relationship with God in ways that go beyond just a religious assent or belief. You see, we are also to understand at the outset through this divine perspective that, that this beginning that Jesus inaugurates isn't just a beginning, but it's also a fulfillment. It's also the long-awaited promise of God coming to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Long before John the Baptist came on the scene, the promise of God was established in the Old Testament scriptures, such as the prophet Isaiah, which he quotes here. Thus, we're to understand that up front, right at the beginning of this story, we're witnessing the very fulfillment of God's plan for salvation history that, that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. 
Now, the author, Mark, actually combines three different Old Testament references here. He, he quotes Isaiah, but he's also taking a section from Exodus chapter 23, Malachi 3, 1, and Isaiah 43. And what scholars are suggesting is by taking these three verses that aren't normally combined and, and weaving them together here, he's saying essentially that, that the Torah, the, 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 the first five books of the Bible that Exodus represents, authorize Jesus as the Messiah. And, and if you look at the major prophets of which Isaiah is a representative, the, the prophets testify to, that Jesus is the Messiah. And that if you look at Malachi, who is of the minor prophets, you're ultimately taking the whole Old Testament scriptures and saying all of these scriptures that we've had for centuries testify to this moment in history that this Jesus, who is the Christ, is the Son of God. He is God with us. It isn't just a human being who came to be God's representative. It was God himself who became incarnated in this man called Jesus who became the savior of the world. We see the authorization of the Holy Spirit of God, the voice and the spirit that was present at creation that spoke creation into being shows up at Jesus' baptism and in in an audible voice to Jesus authorizes him as the the son of God in whom he is well pleased. But, but it says he, he saw heaven opened up, right? The other characters around him in the story, they didn't see that, but Jesus saw it. Jesus experienced it, and we get to see behind the scenes God's relationship with Jesus, that special father-son relationship, and that invitation for him to trust his life to his father, even though he knew that ultimately his life would be forfeit. The voice and the spirit of creation is present in Jesus' inauguration into his ministry. It empowers Jesus to move forward in ministry. It descends on him like a dove at his baptism. And then ultimately it says it drives him into the wilderness where he has to wrestle with the adversary. You see, even though God is authorizing Jesus, he's blessing Jesus, he's empowering Jesus, we also see that that Jesus' inauguration of the kingdom of God isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of the cosmic battle between the forces of darkness and evil that would love nothing more than to see us disintegrated in our lives, to see us disintegrated in our communities, to see us fall victim to pain and sin and brokenness in our lives, which is the very reason why Jesus came is to overcome the power of sin and evil and brokenness in our lives. So Jesus is driven into the desert for testing by Satan. In some of the other gospels, we see a little bit more about how that plays out. But essentially, Mark is saying, it's game on, Satan. Right? Jesus has arrived, and and, and the power of God is breaking into this world. It is game on. And if you are a follower of this, Jesus, we have to hear in there a little bit of a challenge. Are you ready for game on with the forces of darkness and evil in this place, in this world. Because if you follow this Jesus, if you follow this Christ, and you claim that you're going to be a part of God's mission of love and healing and reconciliation in the world, you're going to find some opposition. Let's just be honest. There are not just other people, but there are literally forces at work in this world that will be out for your own destruction. And we are encouraged to understand that we don't have to be afraid of that. But because of Jesus and what he's accomplished, we have the power to also fight those forces and to find victory and overcome in our own lives. Finally, I'd like to suggest for us this morning that we see in this passage the authorization from Jesus himself as the Christ of God for us as human beings to enter into this new reality as well. 
Though unseen by human eyes, yet being revealed through the fulfillment of long-told scriptures, the presence and power of God's Spirit, our invitation, Jesus said, is to repent and believe. Our invitation is to repent and believe. After John was put in prison, showing that even John experienced the tension and the opposition of this world, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, Jesus' call to repent isn't a a caustic reprimand. He's not whacking us over the head with scripture saying, you know, repent, heaven or hell, turn or burn. That wasn't Jesus' perspective. That wasn't his attitude. His invitation to repent was an invitation to to change allegiances, to switch sides, to get on team with Jesus, to get on point with God in this mission of love and reconciliation that he was bringing through Christ. See, God is unleashing a new power in the world that makes repentance and reconciliation with God even possible. That's why this is not bad news, it's good news. The good news is that we are already forgiven in Christ. That there's nothing we have to do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to to be worthy of it. All we simply have to do is receive it and believe it. But again, the believing part is often the most difficult, right? I mean, again, belief is more than just saying, oh yeah, I believe that's true, right? What we really believe about life is demonstrated in what? how we live, right? Our, 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 our true belief about the reality of our life in this world is lived out in the way we actually live our lives. If you want to know what you believe and what you value, right, look at your calendar. Where do you spend your time? Look at your checkbook. Where do you spend your money? Look at, look at the ways that you're, you're using your life. Is it for your own glory or is it for God's glory? Are you, are you serving in Jesus' name? Are you following Jesus as his disciple and, and his call in your life shapes your self, uh, sense of identity and, and what you are created to be and to do? You see, it's the path that Jesus came to walk himself. He came to do the will of his Father. And it's the same path that he invites us to walk with him. It's a pathway that is empowered by the Spirit of God, that seeks first the kingdom of God, and then demonstrates the love and power of God to fulfill his purposes through us, the very salvation and reconciliation of the world. So as we get into this new series, Mark is is challenging us right up front here, and I think the challenge question really is, are you on the path? Are you really on the path with Jesus? Are you truly following him as his disciple? Are you... Are, are, are you walking with Jesus in a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment experience of the living Christ in your life, experiencing the presence and the power of his spirit in you to empower you to do the things that he's calling you to do? How goes your walk this morning? What follows in the Gospel of Mark, which we're not going to have time to read today, but I want to invite you to maybe spend some time exploring this in, in your devotional time with God this week and in the weeks ahead. But you kind of look at Jesus announces the good news of the kingdom, and then he begins to call his first disciples. And then he drives out impure spirits. He begins to heal many. Jesus prays in a solitary place for God to continue to empower him, and he heals people with leprosy. What we see is the evidence of the power of the kingdom of God at work through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And what we see is that this kingdom of God totally blows our perspective out of the water of what our earthly kingdom should be. 
and we begin to be redirected that, that God's mission, God's kingdom is so much broader, so much bigger than we could have hoped for or imagined, and that we get to be a part of that. We're invited to get in the flow with the Spirit of God, to be used by God, to bring healing and wholeness, to overcome the power of Satan and darkness and demonic forces, and to be a part of the light and the good news message that God's kingdom is at hand. The trusting response of his disciples is to drop everything they're doing and say, I'm with you, Jesus. And, and, and we see this kind of immediacy in the Gospel of Mark, right? Everything just happens. And immediately they, they left. And immediately this happened. And in that sense, it's, a, it's kind of a fun and exciting action motion picture gospel, right? <laughs> but we also see the evidence of God's kingdom manifesting itself in the world through these kinds of reconciliation and healing places that allow us to see in here a hope for our own circumstances, When we ask ourselves the challenging question, how goes your walk? Part of the challenge is, how goes your life? Because sometimes it's hard to feel like we're on point with Jesus when things in our life are not going well, when relationships are falling apart, when uh, our careers are not working out, when we're struggling financially, when we're trying to find a a sense of of the next step in our life and, and the way ahead isn't clear. When we ask, how goes your walk in those difficult circumstances, I think we are also being invited by the gospel of Mark to say, you know what? God's kingdom is at hand and is at work in many unseen and unexpected ways. And if we can put our trust in Jesus again, if we can engage Jesus on the path, God will show up and reveal to us that his kingdom is for you and for me as well. Not just for those disciples all those centuries ago, not just for someday when Jesus comes again, But God's kingdom is at hand now. The time is now. The time is here. Are you ready to get on the journey with Jesus? Let's pray. God, as we engage this good news message, this gospel of Mark, would you give us the courage and the strength to walk through the story reflectively, to spend time with Jesus walking behind him as our rabbi, allowing the dust of his shoes to get on our clothes, to get on our lives as as we watch him living out your call in his life. And as we do so, God, would you speak through your spirit to us about how you want us to be able to live out that same calling, that same mission in our own lives, empowered by the same spirit that Jesus had that allowed him to not only overcome sin, but even death itself. God, bring your healing and your wholeness into those broken places in our lives. Help us to be on path with Jesus again in this season. We pray this in his name.